Okay, it's great to uh, see all of you here this morning. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we gather here before you this morning, we pray that we may listen to your words solemnly, for they present to us a great challenge. A challenge which we have to take to heart and to really seriously consider as we reflect on our lives. We pray that truly as we listen to your word, as we hear your word preached faithfully, we pray that uh, you will help us through the Holy Spirit to be convicted and to change, and to go forth and live new lives. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, how many of you have heard of the marshmallow experiment? You haven't, have you? See, you learn new things at church every Sunday. Now, if you go to YouTube and you put down the phrase marshmallow experiment, you'll see that actually uh, there is such a thing called marshmallow experiment. I'm not making it up. And what it is really is a series of experiments where a psychologist gets a five-year-old boy or a girl, right? Okay, this is not cruel or anything. And they put them in a room all by themselves and they put a marshmallow on a plate and they seat the boy or the girl there and then they tell the boy or the girl, look, uh, I'm going to come back, don't eat the marshmallow, when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow. And then what happens is, uh, unknown to this child, there's someone filming them all this while. So, you know, the, 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 the researcher always goes out for about 15 minutes, which is actually quite a long time when you think about it, right? The marshmallow is sitting there for 15 minutes. And uh, as you look at the YouTube, uh, the boys and girls do very fascinating things. Some of them get the marshmallow and they start rubbing it against their face, right? Some of them have the marshmallow there and then they just look everywhere and they pretend that there's no marshmallow in the room. There was a little girl and what she did was she was very clever. She would pick little pieces of the marshmallow and put it into her mouth, right? But then after a while, there was no marshmallow left because all the little pieces were taken off. And there was a boy who within five seconds of the researcher walking out of the room, he just took the marshmallow and put it in his mouth and ate it. Now you might ask yourself, what's the big deal about this marshmallow experiment? What's the, why do uh, you know, these researchers, these psychologists bother to look at these five-year-olds whether they eat the marshmallow or not? And interestingly enough, what they found was that long-term, as they tracked these young five-year-olds growing up, they found that the five-year-olds who resisted the temptation of eating the marshmallow tended to be more successful in life as they got older. They would have uh, better results at school. They would be more successful in their relationships. Uh, they would earn more uh, as they get older. And I think that uh, what seemed to be happening here was that uh, life was about choices, isn't it? And how even at five years old, if, this, if the child could make the right choice, uh, they would keep making the right choices as they got older. And uh, it would play out in different ways in their life. And by and large, that's what it seemed to be the conclusion. Uh, you can look it up if you want in the internet when you, when you go home, right? The marshmallow experiment. Now, as we come to the book of uh, the Deuteronomy, we're coming right to the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. And I think that it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's about making choices. Making the right choices. And the book of Deuteronomy challenges the reader, challenges those people back then, it challenges us as well to make the right choices. Now, as we come back again, uh, if you look at this slide, right, we must always put Deuteronomy back within its context. And Deuteronomy was spoken by Moses to the people 
of God as they stood on the brink of the promised land. Here they were on the east of the promised land and they were about to go in. And as they were about to go in, God gave the God's people three sermons through the person of Moses. And it would be good to go back to look at these sermons. And the first sermon really, uh, if you look at the next slide, was from chapter 1 to 4. And it really contained uh, information about the previous generation and how the previous generation had failed and how they had also come to the brink of the promised land and how they had turned back in disobedience. And as a result, for 40 years, they wandered the desert and died. And in the first sermon, God spoke to the people and said, do not be like the first generation. Make the right decision. Don't disobey me. Do you remember that? I hope you do. Right? It wasn't that long ago. And then the second sermon was from chapter 5 to 28, where it said that God had done all these things for Israel. He had loved them, He had chosen them, He had forgiven them. And therefore, as they entered into the promised land, they must choose God back. They must choose to follow God in everything that they do. They must walk in all of God's ways. So the second sermon was all about the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that, the Ten Commandments? About all these laws and rules and regulations, what to do with captives, public holidays, disciplining children, what to, what to do even when you go to the toilet, who to marry, right? what to do with captive slaves. And what God was saying in the second sermon was, as you enter into the promised land, this is how you must live. This is how you must live because I have chosen you to enter into the promised land as my people. Now today, we come to the last sermon. Sermon, chapter, uh, the, the sermon number three, isn't it? And uh, this sermon is uh, what every good sermon uh, should have, isn't it? It's the challenge. It's the application part where the rubber hits the road, where a choice has to be made. And I think this sermon is like the marshmallow sermon. It's a marshmallow sermon because here God is saying, look, I've given you all these rules, all these decisions to make. Make the right choice. Make the right choice. So we're going to look from chapter 30, verse 11 to 14. So I'd like you to open up your Bibles, chapter 30, verse 11 to 14. Right? And uh, this is what it says in chapter 30, verse 11 to 14. And this is what God speaks to His people. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, nor beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. And what it's saying here, I think if you wanted to summarize this section, is that there is no excuse for not making the right choice. and There are no excuses. And how he says here is he says, Look, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. Now, it's not saying it's too difficult. It says, of how, you know, is it too difficult to do? No, the way I read it is, it's not too difficult to understand. What The choice that God puts in front of His people is not too difficult to understand. You see, it's not beyond our intellect. It's not beyond human wisdom. It's not incomprehensible. See, the word here, too difficult, if you look up this slide, right? If you look up this slide, the word too difficult is this word, which is also used earlier on in Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verse 8. If cases come before your court which are too difficult for you to judge, right? Beyond your uh, wisdom, beyond your understanding, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. 
In Proverbs chapter 30, the same word is used. For there are three things which are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the, in the sky, the way of a snake a, on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man of a maiden. So I think what's happening here is that God is saying, look, the choice you have to make is a very simple choice. It's a very understandable choice. It's a very straightforward choice. And I think many scholars say that chapter 30, verse 11 to 14 of Deuteronomy is quite straightforward, isn't it? Uh, when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, it's a bit like John chapter 3, verse 16, isn't it? Do you all know John 3, 16? Everybody knows John 3, 16. Isn't it? If you don't know John 3, 16, then you need to read the Bible more. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, advising you. But John 3, 16 is very straightforward, isn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Anybody not understand the words there? Anybody have trouble with, the, with what is being said there? No, isn't it? It's very, very straightforward. God loved the world so much, He gave His only Son. If you believe in the Son, you will not die but have ever, everlasting life. See, the Christian message is a very straightforward one. It's a very plain speaking message. And that's what God is saying here. Look, the message that He was giving the Israelites was not too difficult. It was not you know, advanced maths or advanced chemistry. It was very straightforward. And when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 10, right, which summarize what Deuteronomy is all about, you have to say, yes, it is very straightforward what God is asking of His people. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Is there anything complicated there? Is there anything that we do not understand? Is there anything that the Israelites say, no, we, we don't understand what you're saying, God? No, it's very straightforward. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now hear, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you, for you, for you, giving you today for your own good. It is not difficult. The choices before people are not complicated. God does not want you to not be able to make a decision because you cannot understand. I remember Mark Twain uh, made this wonderful quote. He said, It's not what I can't understand in the Bible that bothers me, but it's what I can understand. isn't it? Because many people say, Oh, you know, the Bible is very complicated. I can't understand the Bible. Actually, the Bible is very straightforward. So that's what it says here. God says, What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. And he goes on to say, It's not beyond your reach. And uh, verse 12 to verse 13 really expand on the idea of beyond your reach. And what he's saying is, the Bible, or God's Word, is not something which is far, far away, which you cannot find. He says there, in verse 12, Who will ascend to heaven and get it and proclaim it so that we can obey it? Is God's Word such that, you know, we've got to go up to heaven, some inaccessible place, some impossible height, to find God and say, God, what is your will for us? What is your will for me? No, isn't it? God's Word is here with us right now. God's Word is not such, in verse 13, where it is beyond the sea, where you have to ask, 
Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, God's word is not like that. Right? God's word is not like the Lord of the Rings. You know, where we are like Frodo. And we have, you know, we have to go on this impossible quest to go to the mountain of Mordor and, and destroy the ring that binds all rings. No, isn't it? It's not like that at all. In fact, God's word is here right before us now. And it's whether we choose to obey it or not. We choose to follow it or not. In verse 14, it says, Look, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. My friends, there are no excuses of making the right choice before God. You cannot say you do not understand the choice before you. You cannot say, I don't know what the choices are before me. Because God says that the choice is there. It's whether you want or don't want. It's whether you do or you don't do. It's whether you have or you don't have, isn't it? It's very simple, very clear. It's the same thing for us as Christians. Because in Romans chapter 10, which is up here on this slide, the New Testament, here Paul uses exactly the same words that Moses uses in the Old Testament and he applies it to Jesus. And notice what he says here. He says, The righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You notice how in the Old Testament, Moses says, the law is there, it's very plain. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. But the New Testament, it says, look, it's the same thing for Jesus. To know Jesus, we don't have to go up to heaven and to bring Jesus down to earth, isn't it? And we don't have to go and raise Jesus from the dead. Because God has already brought him down from heaven and God has already raised him up from the dead. And all we need to do is to confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. That's all it takes for eternal life. Is that very complicated? Is that something that we have to, uh, you know to really, really work hard to understand that? No, isn't it? It is very simple. Jesus is Lord. Confess to your mouth. Believe that God raised Him from the dead. It is not rocket science. And that's why many times, right, when people uh, try to find out about Christianity, I was, I was just looking at this uh, uh, book a while ago, recommended to me by Seng Yun actually, Conversational Apologetics. And uh, it's about this guy who was saying, now how do you how do you reach out to non-Christians uh, using your conversations? And there's one part here where he talks about <coughs> smoke screens. You know what a smoke screen is, right? A smoke screen is where you put up smoke so that you can't see your real objective. And he says that many times people will ask question after question after question after question about Christianity. But really... Even if you answered every one of their questions, they would not come to believe in Jesus. Ever, ever had that happen to you before? Ever, ever had a case where you try to share the gospel with someone and after one week they ask a question 
After the second week, you ask the question again. And then they keep answering, 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 answering. And they got no more questions, but they still do not believe. And what this guy says that, you know, is that maybe you should ask this guy, if I can answer all your questions in a way that would make sense to you, would that help you to more seriously consider a belief in God and Christianity? And sometimes people will say no, isn't it? Even if I answer this question to you, would you become a Christian? And the answer would be no. Because the real problem is not them understanding the gospel, it's not them really understanding what God is offering, it is, it's not a problem of the mind, isn't it? It's a problem of the heart. And that's what this passage is being said here. You know, the problem is not so much the mind, we don't understand what God is saying, is whether we want to accept or not. Now for Christians, it's very real, isn't it? I know of a, a relative of mine, and uh, this person goes to church, and they will say, you know, we live in the real world. No, the Bible says this, but we live in the real world. And when you live in the real world, you must do this. You know, it's very hard to understand the Bible, this uh, friend of mine says. You know, the Bible was written in a long time ago, but now we live in the 21st century. Things are different now. And you know, Paul, well, I don't really believe in Paul, but you know, I believe in Jesus. Ever heard that before? Isn't that making the Bible more complicated than it really is? Because the Bible is very clear in what it says. Now, just the other day, now you know you're in trouble, right? Because when I bring this bag out, I've got lots of books, right? So, I was reading this book by Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. I don't think Jimmy Carter is very popular anymore. Why? Because I bought this for $2. Okay? In a second-hand shop. Now, Jimmy Carter was the president of uh, the United States, I think in the 80s. And he is a Christian. Or was it 70s? He's a Christian. He was a Christian. And I was reading it, and I was very surprised because actually he's very liberal in his understanding of Christianity. And he says here that he doesn't believe that uh, the Bible actually condemns homosexuality. And I was thinking, well, Jimmy, what are you talking about, Jimmy? Right? And this is what Jimmy says. He says, oh, you know, we shouldn't attack uh, homosexuality because it's based primarily on selected verses in the Old Testament. And, uh, and Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. And I was thinking, well, Jimmy, if the Old Testament says that the homosexuality is wrong, then isn't that enough for you? Uh, yes, there are parts of the New Testament which talk about homosexuality. Yes, he, he says that as well. But then because Jesus doesn't say it, well, Jimmy says, I'm very, it's very complicated for me. I don't know whether homosexuality is right or wrong. There's something, there's something a bit complicated you know, about the Bible. Jimmy's saying, Old Testament says it, New Testament says it, but Jesus doesn't say it. Oh well, we just throw up our hands and we don't understand, right? Homosexuality, we just don't understand. No, it's not that complicated, isn't it? The Bible is very clear. The Old Testament says it, New Testament says it, but Jesus didn't say it. God is still speaking, isn't it? Homosexuality is wrong. Not too long ago, I was uh, counseling a young man against watching pornography. And I said, you know, you shouldn't watch pornography, isn't it? You know what this man said to me? It'll blow your mind, right? He says, oh, you know, I watch pornography out of love. What? You watch pornography out of love? How is that possible? Oh, you know, because it's loving to these women because I'm supplying income for them, you see, on the internet. Right? Because, you know, they'll be very poor. So, by watching this, you know, I'm helping them get a living. There's something warped, isn't it? Because that's what the Bible is saying. You're just complicating the Bible by making all these rationalizations. See, that's what this passage is saying. It said, it's not complicated. It's very clear what God wants. It's whether you want to believe or not. 
I remember pastor once saying, before he starts every marriage counseling, uh, with any problem marriages he has, he always says, look, we're not here to solve every problem, right? We're here to sit under God's word. And I'm convinced if you sit under God's word, we will solve most of your problems. Because really what God says about marriage is very straightforward, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives to death. Love your wives the way Jesus loved the church, which is to death. Is it very hard to understand that? Not very hard to understand, isn't it? Hard to apply, but not hard to understand. It says wives, wives respect and submit to your husbands. Is that hard to understand? No, it's not very hard to understand, but hard to apply. And what this passage is saying in verse 11 to 14 is, the choices are not difficult to understand. It is whether you want to, un- you want to apply it or not. Then he goes on to say, in verse 15 to verse 18, this, See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. Now here, God gives them two ways, isn't it? Two ways of the rest of their life. Now, you know, uh, we have uh, an evangelistic tract called Two Ways to Live. Right? I'm sure some of you heard it. We, we studied it about four years ago, Two Ways to Live. Actually, there are not two ways to live. I realize it's not quite right. It's actually, there's one way to live and one way to die, isn't it? There are two ways to live. There's one way to live and one way to die. And the first thing that he says here is, you either choose one way and you get life, you choose another way and you get death. There is no middle way. There's just a way which is in God where there's life, and there's a way without God and there is no life. And he says that once you choose that option, you will get that result. There are no two ways about it. You see, it seems so clear when you think about it. If I give you a glass of Ribena and you drink that glass of Ribena, what will happen to you? You will feel refreshed. You will feel, uh, maybe, you know, you feel refreshed because you drank the Ribena. Right? Now, if I gave you a glass of red poison, right, poison, poison in red water, and, and I got you to drink it, and you drank it, what will happen to you? You will not feel refreshed, isn't it? You will probably feel very bad. You get a bad stomachache, you might vomit, you might die. Who knows what will happen to you? And that's the principle that God is putting before His people as they prepare to enter the promised land. You choose one way, you get one result. You choose another way, you get another result. And I think it's so important for us to listen to this message because for us today as Christians, many people live as if you can drink poison and still feel refreshed. Isn't that true? I know of a Christian man who is in an adulterous relationship and continuing to live in an adulterous relationship, still going to church and thinks that he will be saved. How is that possible? Isn't that what this passage is saying? If you drink poison, you will feel terrible. So how is it this man thinks, I can continue to live in an ongoing sinful relationship and still be saved. 
Isn't that really warped in thinking? Isn't that something which the world somehow has infiltrated our mind, thinking that we can, we can live that way? That somehow we can live in sin, but we can choose the result. That somehow people are, I know, I'm constantly amazed by these people, that these, that these Christians who are serenely overconfident that no matter what they do in their life, they can, they can sin with, a, with, with no conscience at all and continue to sin and somehow they have a cons- confirmed reservation in heaven for them. Have you ever met people like that? Maybe, maybe you think like that. That somehow, you know, you can just live your life the way you want to live but that you can choose the result that is going to happen. My friends, that is not true. In the Old Testament and New Testament, you know, look here, God is speaking to His people. Or His people. But He's saying, look, if you don't obey Me, you will lose what should be yours. Same thing for us as Christians in Hebrews chapter 10. It says there, if, if we deliberately keep on sinning, that's a very important, you deliberately keep on sinning. Right? Willfully keep on sinning. After we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy and the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, in the Old Testament, the Jews were in danger of losing the promised land. They would, they would lose the land east of the river Jordan. But as Christians, it's very different, isn't it? What do we lose if we continue to deliberately keep on sinning? We lose heaven itself, isn't it? We lose eternal life. We lose our salvation. We are already God's children. But that doesn't mean that we must not persevere in obeying and living a godly life. Now, it's not obedience because you want to earn points or earn salvation. No. Right? Obedience is continuing in Christ, continuing in what we already have in God. And therefore, God says, because your choices will result in a consequence, you must choose wisely. Right? You must choose wisely because when you choose one or the other, there will be a consequence to your life. And that's what he says there in verse 19 and 20. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. That's a very high thing, right? He's like, he's calling the whole world as witnesses against God's, his own people, that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For God, the, the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now make most, no mistake, right? The passage is saying here that when you choose, God wants you to choose life. He doesn't want you to, 
to choose death, isn't it? He wants people to make the right choice. God doesn't want to see people condemned. God doesn't want to see people judged. God doesn't want to see people rejected. But He wants people to choose life. Now, what are you choosing? Would you prefer eternal life or eternal damnation? Which one would you rather? Anybody want to choose eternal damnation? I don't think so, right? Poor choice. How many of you would like to choose blessings or curses? Now, I don't think we want to choose curses, right? Curses is a very bad choice. I wouldn't advise you to choose curses. Then why is it so many people still end up making the wrong choices? Why, why do people make the wrong choices when, the, when, 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 when life, eternal life, blessings... It's so much better as an alternative. Isn't it because we are so much like the Jews as well? We long for Egypt when the promised land is right there in front of us. C.S. Lewis once said, we are, we are much like children who prefer to play in the mud and make mud castles than, than to go to this beautiful beach that God has prepared for us. I think that's a very... Interesting picture, isn't it? I mean, so many of us, we are so happy with the, with the things that are really not that important or not that good at all when we do not see the paradise that God has in front of us. But the challenge for us is, we must, isn't it? We must make the right choice. If you're not making the right choice, then I, ask, I, I plead with you today to make the right choice. And what is the right choice? Well, up here on the slide... Right. The right cho- uh, The next one. The right choice in verse twenty says that you must love the Lord your God, but not just love the Lord your God, but listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. Right. Love the Lord your God, but not just lo- love, but listen and hold fast to Him. Now, notice it doesn't say, right? You will choose life if you come to church every Sunday. Okay. It doesn't say you will choose life if uh, you read the Bible. It doesn't say you will choose life if you go to Bible study. It doesn't say you will choose life if you sing Christian songs. And I think this is a really important point. I want to impress upon you. You see, coming to church, reading your Bible, doing quiet time, going to Bible study, these are not the end in itself, isn't it? These are the means to the end. Coming to church, listening... Reading your Bible, taking it in, going to Bible study, these are things which help us love God, listen to God, and hold fast to God. Because you can come to church every Sunday, and during the sermon, it's not going in, isn't it? You're not really listening. You're not really loving God. You're not really holding fast to God. It's just up words in the air, right? Vibrations. But nothing is actually going in. You could, you could read the Bible in Bible study. But you know, for you, it could be just like a, an intellectual exercise. Right? It's just, it's just interesting, but, but it's not really impacting the heart. So I remember reading uh, another book, <coughs> excuse me, uh, about this guy who's a pastor, and he was saying that he found that uh, in some of his Bible studies, this is in England, the Bible study had become so intellectual, it's like intellectual exercise, that he found that people were not applying the word to their lives. In fact, 
I love the quote that he has here, right? He says that instead of underlining uh, God's word, right? They were undermining God's word. You see the difference? Instead of underlining what God's word is saying, right? They were undermining God's word. So what he said was, now for the cell groups, what I want you guys to do is, I want you guys to, to really use your groups to make yourself accountable, to make sure that you're really applying God's word in your life. Right? That's what you wanted the, the group. That's what the group's for, isn't it? To help us to love God, to help us to listen to God, to help us to hold fast to God. You know, ultimately, that is the question that's facing you, right? Are you making the right choice? Just because you're coming to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're making the right choice. You are only making the right choice to follow God if you love Him and you're listening to Him and you're holding fast to Him. Because the reality is God is telling His people, including us, that we need to do this because it is so easy for us not to love Him, not to listen to Him and not to hold fast to Him. Because we are surrounded by a world which says, don't love God Love the world instead. Isn't that true? Love the world, right? Love its pleasures, love its computer games, right? Love its money, love its fulfillment, love its fun. Why love God? That's what the world is saying. And then the world, you know, through the newspapers, through the TV shows, are saying to you, don't listen to the Bible, don't listen to God. Listen to the world. Look at, want to watch Sex in the City and see how great it is to be glamorous and sleeping around, right? You know, Watch uh, things, other things like, you know, how great it is to, to, to do your own thing, to be independent, to find fulfillment in this world. Don't just hold fast to God. Let go of God and hold fast to the world. That's what the world is saying. But God says no. No, don't, you know, yes, okay, your career might suffer if you hold fast to God and listen to, your, to God. Uh, you know, you, you may lose your bonuses. You may lose your, your promotions but you have chosen life. You have chosen heaven, isn't it? You have chosen blessings. You know, you may lose that relationship with that, some, with that person, but it is obeying God's word and you have chosen life. You may lose the pleasure and enjoyment of hanging out with those friends who are non-Christians, but you have chosen life. See, ultimately, you can choose all the things of this world, but will it really satisfy? No, it won't, isn't it? It won't satisfy. I want to just close with this passage in uh, Isaiah chapter 55, which I always find is a great encouragement to me. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. See, today as you uh, consider your life, it's good to have a stock take, isn't it? So I was reading this other book, uh, Preventing Ministry Failure. Okay, not unfailing ministry, but then it's quite interesting. He says here, and this is a wonderful uh, question I thought, he says, from a scale of 1 to 10, consider the quality of your relationship with God. 
I think that's a very profound question. Is On a scale of 1 to 10, consider the quality of your relationship with God. And it says, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, consider your, your quality of relationship with your family, with your friends. And if, if, if your, the quality of your relationship with your friends, your family, your workmates is greater than your relationship with God, then something is not right, isn't it? And then there's another question. He says, consider the level of your investment in your relationship with God from a scale of 1 to 10. What is the level of your investment with, the, with your relationship with God? And you compare that with your investment with uh, the quality of relationships with your family or your spouses or even you know, in other things of your life. Now, if you find that the investment of your quality of your relationship with God is last or very low, then you must be asking you the question, have you made the right choice? Are you choosing God? Are you holding on fast to God? Or have you hold fast to something else? Now, conclusion. Um, you know Singapore radio, right? How many stations are there? Only about 20, right? Including the Chinese stations. I, I don't know about the Indian and Malay stations, right? Now, I, uh, I don't listen to much to uh, Singapore local radio anymore. Why? Because I listen to internet radio, right? And on internet radio, there are thousands of stations. I mean, there are thousands. There are really, really thousands of stations. You can listen to anything you want. Jazz, hip-hop, rap, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 60s, 50s, right? Uh, One-hit wonders, uh, Spanish, Chinese, New Age, instrumental, anything you can listen to. There are thousands. Thousands, right? You, you go to uh, television, cable TV, Singnet, uh, sorry, Singnet, uh, no, not Singnet anymore. Mio TV, Mio TV, right? Starhub. You can watch hundreds of stations, and the world is full of choices, right? You want to buy toothpaste or so? There's so many choices. You know, the ones that stripe. You know, the ones that make your teeth brighter. The ones that you know, all sorts of choices. But our relationship with God is not a mixture of choices. We cannot choose a little bit of God and a little bit of ourselves. We cannot choose a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. We cannot choose a little bit of God to love a little bit of God and to love a bit of myself or to love something else. Right? God says, it's very clear, there are just two choices. You love me with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. You listen to me and you hold fast to me and you have blessings. You have life. You have heaven. You choose something else and there's only death, destruction, curses. The choice is ours. What is the choice that you are making in your life? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30 will resonate in our heart for the rest of our lives and not just for this hour, but we will truly consider our lives seriously and ask ourselves, are we choosing you? Are we loving you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind? Are we listening to you as we read your word, really listening to you and are we holding fast to you? Dear Father, help us not to be deceived, help us not to be confused by the noise of this world, but help us to be crystal clear that we have to choose you in everything that we do. 
And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.